you'll see on the screen behind me a chart, or at least a graph, that will give you an idea of how we as Americans, at least in one particular segment of society, spend our time. Now you see there, this is the average workday for employed people ages 25 to 54 with children. Now there are other studies, I'll just tell you, on this Bureau of Labor Statistics website that you can read. Maybe you don't find yourself in this stage of life. They have one on how high school students and college students and uh, mothers in particular, they, they, how mothers spend their time, which is a really interesting read. They have one on the elderly and how older folks typically spend their time. But this segment of society seemed to kind of be a microcosm of a lot of other uh, sets. And so I thought it was interesting. If you look there, you'll see that, uh, that sleeping requires 7.6 hours. And some of you say, well, I don't get nearly that much uh, working with, uh, with children and so on. Maybe, maybe you spend more time doing that. Or you say, I wish I had more. Uh, working 8.8 hours, working and working-related activities, uh, the average day. So not, not your typical eight-hour workday for most folks in this particular segment. 2.5 hours of leisure and sports. I'm looking to find that 2.5 hours myself. I'm not sure where that is. The total does equal 24 hours, so they're not adding any hours to the day. Eating and drinking, 1.1 Household activities, 1.1. Caring for others, 1.2. And then my favorite category, other. Which means I have no idea where that time went, but I spent 1.7 hours doing something I can't quite describe. Other. It fits into no particular category whatsoever. Maybe you say, you know, that I can see that. I spent a lot of time doing this or that. And again, you'll, you can... Uh, you can maybe look at some of those other studies. I will tell you, just as a side note, on the back of your bulletin there, there's a little way you can follow along online. If you want some references to this, you can see that little uh, code for website, and uh, it will give you more notes than I'm actually going to give you on the back of your bulletin if, you, if you're interested. I'd love some feedback on that as well as we try that. Uh, if you think about how you spend your time, I came across some other studies as well that revealed that we spend a lot of time doing other things. Maybe that's the others sort of category. The average person will spend seven hours a month on Facebook. Seven hours a month. Now, you saw seven hours a month, but that's seven hours a month on Facebook. The average person will spend a total of 32 hours per month on the Internet. Total on the Internet. 32 hours a month. That's a lot. It's almost a, almost a work week, isn't it? You spend on the Internet. Now, some of your jobs require you to be. I understand where this is coming from. You can make statistics mean anything you want them to mean. I'm just giving you... Uh, part of it. Uh, on average, a person uh, in America watches three hours of television a day, which adds up to about 90 hours a month. Think about that. 90, no, no way, I don't want Think about how you spend your time. Isn't it interesting? I really believe that how we spend our time, and I don't think I could find much argument here, how we spend our time matters. It really does affect us. It affects what we believe. It affects how we view the world. It affects how we view ourselves, how we view other people what we do, what we think, and so on. The time that we spend on things shapes our lives drastically, dramatically. I think you would probably agree with that. You've seen people, they spend all this time doing this, and as a result, here's how they are, good, bad, or otherwise. Some other statistics that I find interesting as well, if you are to attend church every Sunday morning for a month, take four Sundays in that month, on average, you will be receiving 2.6 hours of preaching Per month, on average. That's about a 40-minute sermon each Sunday, about 2.6 hours per month. Now, if you attended church every Sunday uh, for a year, obviously you would get 52 sermons. If you did that, 
every year, every Sunday, from the time you're 10 years old until you were 75, you would be attending 3,380 Sunday morning sermons. Consider that just for a second. That is a total of 135,200 minutes of preaching, or 2,253 hours, or a solid 93 days that you have sat and listened to preaching, if that would be your pattern. Now, I realize that's not the case for everybody, but we do have people here who have done that, and you just consider the amount of preaching you have listened to. But what's interesting, another set of stats. Remember that survey we did at the beginning of this series, and I just asked for some responses and so on? It's interesting. I added it up. We had a total of 73 responses. Though folks can sit under preaching week after week after week, only 30 of the 73 responses to that survey said that they hear from God through the Bible. You know what we call this? God's what? Word. What do you do with words? You hear them. Only 30 of those who took that survey and responded said they hear from God through the Bible. What's interesting as well is that there's a higher number, which I find interesting on a totally different level, but only 48 of the 73 responses say they hear from God through sermons or Bible teaching. Now, I don't take offense to that. I'm not offended by that in any way, but I'll tell you this, I want to change it. I want to change how we hear from God. I want it to be that we hear from God, certainly through prayer and other things, but we hear from God through the Bible and through the preaching of His Word, because I believe that those 2.6 hours that you spend each month listening to preaching can change your life. I really believe that. I don't say that because I'm the preacher here at Elm Grove. I say that because I believe that what history and the Bible prove is that God Himself, God speaks through faithful biblical preaching. God Himself speaks through faithful biblical preaching. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah 8, over in the Old Testament, it goes Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. All right, so you kind of get an idea of where this is. If you need your table of contents, turn there. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to get an illustration this morning. I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to kind of break this down. I'm going to give you an illustration of how God speaks through faithful biblical preaching. A fascinating story here. Let me catch up to speed real quick on what's going on in history at this time. The Israelites have spent... 70 years in exile, out of their country, in a foreign country, under foreign rulers. And they're now trickling back into Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah, he hears from God, basically, that God wants him to go and rebuild the walls because he's, he's just broken down about what's going on in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah approaches the king whom he serves, and the king says, yes, go right ahead. You can rebuild your city. And he does that, and if you know the story, the walls are rebuilt miraculously in 52 days and they fortified the city. And then in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we pick up where now the people, not just the city, the people are going to be restored. Look with me in verse 1. When the seventh month came, this is actually the end of chapter 7, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, verse 1, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Several other men whose names we'll not read at this time, but they will be on the exam at the end of the sermon series. 
stood beside him on his right, and several other guys whose names you'll need to know were on his left. Verse 4. Verse 5. Ezra, Ezra, I love Hebrew names. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. More names you'll need to know who were Levites. Explain the law to the people as they stood in their places. Verse 8, they read the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because your strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the, tenth, during the festival of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout all their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, just as is written. The people went out brought back branches and made booths for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, and the square by the gate of Ephraim. The whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, and there was tremendous joy. Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first to the last. The Israelites celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to the ordinance. I love this particular story. What a great story of folks who are receiving the preached word of God and seeing what it does in their lives. God speaks through faithful, biblical preaching. I want to do a couple of things this morning before we get full on into the outline that you'll see there on the back of your bulletin. I want to give you a definition of what I believe faithful biblical preaching really is. I don't want to take for granted that when I say that, that everybody kind of understands it's on the same page. I want to give you a little bit of a definition. So according to what I have studied and what I truly believe, here's what I think faithful biblical preaching is. I believe it is the culmination of what should be, at least, a Holy Spirit and Christ-centered process. Let me stop there for just a second. It's a culmination. What you see here this morning when I preach to you is not the only time that I've thought about this particular sermon. Obviously, I hope you know that. It is a culmination of a Holy Spirit-driven and Christ-centered process. That the Holy Spirit, from the time that I have looked at the Bible to the time that it is preached and you sit and receive it, the Holy Spirit drives the entire process. It's also to be Christ-centered which means that I don't stand up just to give you some information about the Bible, but I stand up to preach Jesus to you. Because He is your only hope. He is your only chance for salvation, your only chance at new life. So if all I do is give you a lecture on the Bible and what it means, well, I've stopped short, and it needs to be a Christ-centered, 
process. Faithful biblical preaching also involves what I would call grammatical study, meaning that you've got to understand what the words mean. You've got to know what the, the Bible is actually saying. And contextual study. You may have heard me talk about this before. One of the things that drives me nuts, and I'll be honest with you, you ought to listen with discernment to preaching that does this. One of the things that drives me crazy is when a preacher will go to a particular verse in the Bible, pull that verse out, build a sermon around it with lots of other verses, and never tell you what exactly is going on, who wrote this, why did they write it, and what's happening at the time. I recently heard a sermon about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. You realize that he was not talking, Jeremiah in that particular verse, was not talking to you and me in 21st century America in 2013. Does it have application? Absolutely. But he was talking to the Israelites who for so long had been beaten down and needed hope and needed to know that God was still for them. We have to understand the contextual part of it first. So be discerning when you listen to preaching that doesn't give you any of that and doesn't follow the passage of Scripture. Preaching does require interpreting the meaning of Scripture. It, it, it requires that, that the preacher go and say, here's what this means. I've studied it. I've looked at it. Let me uncover this for you and help you understand the original meaning and intent. Realize the first question that I ask each time I go to a passage of Scripture is not, what does this mean to me or what should this mean to our people, but what does it mean? Period. And until we get there, we have no sermon to preach. We just have a lot of ideas and opinions. The sermon includes, obviously, explanation, and includes illustration, and it includes application of that main idea of the passage of Scripture and its structure. And preaching is for the purpose of changing lives, not merely transferring information. Even this sermon this morning, I'm going to preach you on how to listen to a sermon, but I have no intent on you just saying, well, okay, I get that. I'll listen better next time. I'll pay attention a little bit more. I hope that this will absolutely change your life because I hope that you'll take what is, what is preached this morning and apply it beginning next week on how can I listen to a sermon, not to hear from me better. You don't offend me if you're not paying attention. But you're hearing the direct word of God, and I believe that God is offended. And I believe that God should be listened to. Even if you don't like me, don't listen to me, whatever, I still think that when I stand to preach, if I'm preaching faithfully and biblically, that you're hearing God's word. And so my goal is to change lives with it. So that's what I believe. It's a culmination of a Holy Spirit-driven, Christ-centered process that results in lives being changed. Now, there's significant biblical and historical evidence that God does, in fact, speak through biblical preaching. I read a book not long ago, and it talked about the role of the ancient herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, herald, the person who would speak on behalf of the king. They would stand and say, hear ye, hear ye. Here's what the king has to say. The herald was responsible not to change the message in any way, but to proclaim it so that people could understand it and then operate according to what the king had said. If you trace Scripture, that's exactly what the preachers in Scripture have done. You look at the prophets, what do they say? Thus saith the Lord. Here's what God has to say. You look at John the Baptist. He comes preaching in the name of the Lord. You look at Jesus. He says, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to, and this is what I preach, is what God has told me to preach. You look at the apostles and the early church. They proclaimed the words of God. And you see throughout history that when God's word is faithfully proclaimed, that lives are changed. And when it's not, we have periods like the Dark Ages where there is spiritual decline. When faithful preaching was not there and folks didn't want it, 
But then we see in the Reformation and leading through the Great Awakenings and even through the ministry of somebody like Billy Graham, we see when powerful preaching is there that God changes lives. I really believe that every church that's ever become healthy and grown in maturity and grown in numbers has been spurred on at its core by faithful biblical preaching and by a church and a group of individuals that wants it. God speaks through the Bible. And as a result, we know that God speaks through biblical preaching. How else will we be nurtured by God's Word if we're not hearing it? How else will we be grown by it if we're not hearing it? How else will we come to know and understand the glory and the grace of the one who wrote it if we're not hearing it? We need to engage with it as it's preached. God speaks through faithful, biblical preaching. So my role here is not about being an entertainer or a movie director or a psychologist uh, or even a good speech maker. My role is to stand as the shepherd for this church and to proclaim God's words to you each and every week. And that is what faithful biblical preaching ought to be. When there is true faithful biblical preaching, it is explosive to see what happens in the church. You look in Acts chapter 2, and every time that the, the word is preached, what happens? People are added to the body of Christ. It's true, it's bold, it's life-changing, it's culture-altering. Faithful biblical preaching. I want this morning, since God does speak through preaching, I want then to say, how can we receive, how must we listen to biblical preaching? I've, I've told you this series is about answering three questions. First of all, what is the Bible? We've looked at that the first few weeks. Secondly, why do I need it? We looked at that. And thirdly, how can I get it into my life? Last week we saw we've got to have the right attitude. This morning we'll see getting it into our life requires that we receive and listen to sermons the right way. So how do you listen to a sermon. I've never preached a sermon like this, I'll just tell you that. I'm a little bit leery of doing so because it can seem almost self-serving, and I hope that by waiting four and a half years in my time being here to preach this sermon, maybe you hope you understand by now, I'm not trying to be self-serving. I really do want to help, and I believe that, that the Word of God will change your life, and you need to know how to listen to it. First thing is to value it. How do you listen to a sermon? Number one, value it. Look at verse one. All the people gathered together at the square of, in front of the water gate. They valued it, first of all, by showing up. They showed up and gathered in unity. Now, this is interesting. It's not just the men who are gathering this time. Realize that back during this culture, it was just typical that the men would go and represent the family spiritually. The women and children stayed home, and eh, not a big deal. Now, in our society, sometimes we get it flipped. that The women seem to be the ones who are representing the family spiritually, and, and it's sort of a token if the man will show up sometimes. We, we, we understand that we've kind of got it flipped. But, but at the same time, this is everyone, not just the men. They, they all show up. You realize that times of revival, if you say, you know what, I want revival to come to Elm Grove Baptist Church. I want revival to come to Murray and Callaway County. I want revival in America. It will require, it will require that we show up and desire faithful biblical preaching and that we respond to it. It's not going to come just from hoping and wishing. It's going to come as the people of God get on fire for the Word of God and begin to live out the Word of God. They gather, they show up. Interestingly enough, they gather at the water gate, the place of cleansing and refreshing. My prayer is that each time we come and we gather, that we experience the cleansing and the refreshing of God through His Word. They show up, then they ask for it. Look at, look at the end of verse uh, 1. They ask Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. From this point on, the, the people of Israel will be known as the people of the book. 
They want it. They ask for it. They're seeking spiritual renewal, and they know it's going to come from no other source but from reading and hearing God's Word. That's what they want. They needed a word from God, not just the opinions of people. Revival always requires a prominent place for God's Word, and that's what they wanted. I really believe that one reason we don't see greater spiritual transformation in our churches, in our homes, in our society, is that many times we don't truly hunger to hear a word from God. We'd rather just show up and go through the motions quite often, and I'm guilty of that. I know you are too. We just show up and we do our thing and we go to church and we have a service and so on. And I wonder how often do we truly hunger to hear from God. My prayer for for Elm Grove, for as long as God will will have me here and far beyond that, whatever that means, if I retire, die, or leave, I have no idea. My prayer is that we will be a church that wants, that expects, and that loves faithful biblical preaching. Every single Sunday, as far as we can help it, come with a sincere desire to know and to do what God wants. They show up, they ask for it, and then they got other people there. I love this part. On the first day, verse 2, of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. You realize the men were just uh, typical, as I said, to show up. But in this case, what they do? They go get their wives. They go get their children. They go find anybody they can. Hey, can you understand this? Absolutely. Can you listen? Come on, and we're going to get you there. They, they got others there. The Bible wasn't just to be used by the priests and the leaders and so on in this elevated class of spiritual greatness. Everybody was to receive it. There are folks right now who are on your mind and on your heart that do not regularly sit under the faithful preaching of God's Word who desperately need to hear from God. They don't need to listen to me. They need to hear from God. But you can't live their spiritual life for them. You've got to get them to the point where they can hear the Word of God. And that's what these people do. They get other people there. Number two, pay attention to it. Value it. Pay attention to it. I'd encourage you to listen when it's preached. Listen with your mind. Look in verse 3. When he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, women, and those who could what? Understand. They listened with their minds. You you realize when he says from daybreak until noon, you know how long that is? Anybody know? How many hours? Six hours. I got a little clock right here. We'd have to call in lunch and supper, wouldn't we? Six hours they they listened to the Word of God. And they listened because they could understand. It's evident they're listening with their minds. I I provide notes on the back of the bulletin so that you can write some things down and maybe help remember. I've heard a study once that said you forget 80% of what you don't write down. It doesn't offend me if you don't write it down, but I sure hope you do. Because I think it will help you remember. I think you can take it with you. It'll help you listen with your mind. Write it down. Think it over. I know many of you, you, you leave here and you just, it's, it, the last thing on your mind is what you just heard. Or where are we doing next? And so on. I understand that. I, I live in a, in a real home. I have four children. I know how that goes. But I encourage you, listen with your mind. Write things down. Think it over on the way home or at lunch or in the days to come. And think about how does this particularly apply to my life? They listen with their minds. They also listen with their hearts. Look in verse 9. All the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. I'm convinced that we often listen with our ears, but many times our hearts are not there. We may say, okay, I understand, I agree. 
But maybe we're more concerned about other things and it doesn't get to our hearts. And in many cases, sadly, and I've heard this in church after church, that the shorter the sermon, the better I like it. Now don't say amen too quickly on that. But sometimes isn't it true that we just rather show up and let's just get this over with and move on to something more important. I'll tell you this, I'll listen to preaching all day long if God is using it to affect my heart. I'll listen all day long. Encourage you, if you're going to listen with your heart, to pray before, to pray during, and to pray after the sermon. When you show up and you walk in this building, God, speak to me today. As I'm standing here preaching to you, God, speak to me as I hear the words of God. And afterward, God, drill down deep into my heart what I've heard, and God, change me. Listen with your heart. And I would also encourage you, as you pay attention to it, listen to whomever it is that brings faithful biblical preaching. You know all those guys whose names you're going to be tested on, but I didn't read? You know what it says about them in verse 7? It says, they also explained the law to the people. They were preaching as well. Ezra is the one, they say, hey, bring the book to us. But you know what he does? He says, all these folks are guys you can hear from as well. I want to strongly encourage you to view the messenger as less important than the message. View the messenger as less important than the message. We pay attention to preaching not because of the messenger, but because we're hearing from the one that the messenger serves. So we pay attention as if we are listening to the herald, to the spokesperson, to the representative of that powerful leader, because that's what we are. There's the danger, I think, in believing that you can only hear from one voice. I'll never forget my home church. A sad, I think, a sad episode and tale of a lady in the church who wanted a spiritual question answered. And someone besides the senior pastor was going to answer the question. She responded, no, I'm only going to listen to what he says. Now you may say, well, okay, I understand that. He's the one who maybe has the theological education and the experience and so on. I understand maybe that. But her stance wasn't, I just want his opinion. Hers was, his is the only one that I'll listen to. Unfortunately, and I would not say this, that, that it's true of my home church, but that's how cults get started. My home church is not a cult. I love the people there, and I love that church. But that's how cults get started when we only hear from one voice. I want you to know that I'm going to do my best each and every week for as long as I can to faithfully preach to you, but I hope that you'll also listen to other preachers. And I'm not talking about the TV preachers that promise you everything under the sun if you just have more faith or buy their prayer hanky. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about faithful, biblical preaching that preaches the true message of God's Word. Listen to those folks, whether it's on the radio, or maybe you get a CD of somebody, whatever it may be, or subscribe to a podcast. Listen to those folks. Value the preaching of God's Word from whomever God sends it to you, just like this in Nehemiah. Number three, take it seriously. Take it seriously. I love what they do here, beginning in verse 5. They, they honor the word of God. Look at this. Ezra opened the book in full view of the people, since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, what? All the people stood up. They all stand in reverence. They know they're about to hear from God himself. Now, we may not stand here as I read all of, of Nehemiah chapter 8. But, but I still believe we must reverence the holy moments in which God speaks to us. We can joke and we can have fun. And you know, I, I, I don't tell a lot of jokes from the pulpit, but I try to have a decent sense of humor just to make sure that you're still listening. But at the same time, 
This is a holy moment. When God speaks to us, it is a big deal. We must be ever mindful, even though we are allowed to enjoy ourselves, ever mindful that we stand on holy ground because God is here and God is speaking. They honor the word of God. And then look at verse 6. They affirm it. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, with, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said what? Amen. Amen. They all responded. They all are receiving what is being preached. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't preach for amens. I don't. One guy told me when I first came here, he said, you know, I, I like to say amen during a sermon. He said, I'm about to say amen. He said, but you talk so fast, you get to the next thing. I'm not sure I want to say amen to that. <laughs> I said, okay. I'll try to slow down just a tad. I don't preach for amens, but at the same time, I don't include applause lines. I've seen preachers do that before, and they wait, and then there's the applause. The applause. And I, 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 I'm not a fan of doing that, but, but I pray that inwardly and absolutely of the freedom outwardly to express your affirmation of what God is saying through His Word. If you want to say amen, so be it, I agree, then by all means, you go right ahead, and nobody's going to look at you like, they're cra- like you're crazy. And if they do, send them to me, and I'll deal with them. But seriously, I hope that inwardly, and I pray that even outwardly, you say, I am affirming. I'm affirming that that's true. God is speaking to me, and amen. And amen. And then the, verse, the end of verse 6, they, they, they not only affirm it, but they submit to it. I love this. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is right in the middle of preaching. You understand? It's right in the middle of the service. They just bow down. Now, we'd freak out. Somebody did that. We'd, well, wait, wait, hold on just a second. Button up just a tad more. I'm not sure about that. This is what they're doing in the middle of the service. You realize they're responding to what God is saying, and it's affecting them in the middle of when God is saying it. I've got a friend in my doctoral program. His name is George. George is an African-American preacher in a predominantly African-American church. And each time we go to our doctoral seminars, we're evaluated on our preaching. This past time, we had to bring a video. George brought a video of his church. And it was amazing to see the people respond to the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that we should try to trump anything up and manufacture a response. Don't read into that. But what was interesting to me, most interesting, And I understand the call and response in African-American churches, and I've seen that before, maybe you have too. What was interesting to me was to note when people stood up. They stood up right in the middle of when he's preaching. Now, I've learned to not let certain things bother me. I don't care if you need to get up and move around and whatever. you got to go to the bathroom or what. I don't know, whatever, but that doesn't bother me. But they would stand up right in the middle and then just sit back down. And then somebody else would stand up and they'd sit back down. You know, it's all over the place. And I asked George, I said, now, here's what I'm thinking is happening there. And tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. I'm thinking that when you say something, that a person who resonates with that stands up in recognition, he's talking to me. And he said, that's exactly right. That's what they do. They stand up in recognition. I'm dealing with that right now. God, teach me. God, lead me. Speak to me. And that's what they do. Isn't that amazing? They submit to the Word of God in a physical response. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and manufacture something just so they think, oh, okay, somebody, I'm talking to somebody. And we do this all over the sanctuary. But it's amazing to see that we are to submit, even physically, to what God is saying to us. And so if in the middle of a sermon, if you simply need to say, I've got to do business with God, I'm going out, and I'm going to get on my knees somewhere before the Lord, then by all means, do it. If you just need to bow your head and, and not fake like you know, you're praying so that you can actually sleep, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you need to bow your head and pray, 
and do it. By all means, submit to the word of God. They bow down. I wonder when the preaching hits close to home, what's your response? Do you get angry? Do you dismiss it? Or do you, in a sense, raise your hands and acknowledge it and bow before the Lord and say, God, change me. I'm not going to resist your word. Number four, seek to understand it. Seek to understand it. Verse 8. They read the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Ezra and the others are reading from it, and yet they realize, wait a minute, these folks have been in exile and captivity for 70 years. They're a little rusty on their Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament. They needed to help them understand, and that was okay. It needed to be explained. They needed to know, here's what the Bible says, here's where you live now, and let me help you understand how that applies to your life today. You realize we have a major distance from the Bible today? We don't live during the same time period. That's pretty obvious. We don't live in the same kind of culture as ancient Judaism. We don't live in the same geographical location. We don't speak or write in the same languages. And because we're in a New Testament era, we don't have the same covenant as three-fourths of the Bible, the Old Testament. There is a distance. So, even though the Bible is authoritative for all of faith and all of life, it still requires hard work, sometimes really hard work, to understand what it's saying to us. That's what these guys are doing. They're doing the hard work to say, we're going to help you understand what this means. So those who preached made it clear. They gave the meaning of the Scripture. They're not altering the meaning. They're just putting it in terms that folks can understand with a fresh application on it. Now, it's a two-way street, though, I'll tell you. The preacher must be absolutely and wholeheartedly prepared each and every time he stands to preach so that he can make it as understandable as possible. But the two-way street is that the audience also must be prepared. The audience also must seek to understand. In many churches, and I have not received this here, I'll just tell you that, but in many churches, and maybe you've been in them before, maybe it's happened here before, Instead of seeking to understand the sermon, what do we seek to do? Critique it. I don't know about that. Who was he talking to when he said that? You hear what he's had to say? I'm not so sure. Now, there are certain times when that maybe is legitimate. But I really think our first response to the preaching of God's Word ought to be, how can I understand what the Bible is saying to me? We should never think more highly of the preacher than we ought. But we also should honor and reverence what he's doing. Because he's been called of God to the work of God for shepherding God's people. And I'm, I'm thankful, I want to tell you this, I'm thankful that I have not faced what I would feel is undue criticism in any way. I've not faced that. And I, I tell you what, I, coming to a church that I didn't know a whole lot about, <laughs> I was a little skeptical that I might face some undue criticism. And you all have been so loving and gracious. I'm thankful for that. And I, I really... I, Absolutely. I, I am very thankful for that. that. That's Unfortunately, in many churches, that's uncommon. Seek to understand it. Number five, respond to it. Respond to it. The first thing that the Scripture brought for them was conviction. Look at verse 9. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy. 
to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. They were, they were absolutely convicted by it. I wonder when is the last time a sermon did that to you? I'm not talking about you fall out in the aisle. Maybe you need to do that, maybe you don't. But I'm just talking about it. It gets to your heart. And your heart is pierced and you say, Oh, God, forgive me. Lord, He's talking to me. That word from God is speaking directly to me and I'm crushed by it. These folks, when they realize what the word of God says and they see their own lives and they see it doesn't match up in any way, they're convicted. And they're crushed and they mourn and they weep and they say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It brings conviction. And then verse 12, I love this. It brings conviction, yes, but also brings repentance. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich. I mean, think about this. Here's these folks who have just been absolutely floored and run over by the word of God. You would think that the preacher would say, well, it serves you right. Bunch of rotten, nasty, awful people, I tell you what. It serves you right. I know your stories. You ought to be mourning and weeping and crying. What does he say to them? Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve because your strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. And the Levites quieted all the people from their mourning and their crying, saying, Be still since today is holy. Do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and what? Have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. They were convicted, yes, but as soon as they recognized that God had forgiven them and given them new life, what did they do? They throw a party. They absolutely celebrated for a full week. The, guys, the, the preacher says, look, that's great. I'm glad you've been convicted, but let me tell you, don't stay there in your mourning and weeping because God's forgiven you. It's time to move on and experience the new life that God has for you. What a great word of encouragement from their pastor during this time. Yes, let God's word deal with you. Let's let it, yes, let it crush you if it needs to. But let me tell you, God's forgiven you. He's given you new life. He's empowered you by His Spirit. Let's go. And that's what we ought to do each and every Sunday. Each and every Sunday, I hope that you're convicted by God's word, that it produces repentance in you, but, but that you leave joyful knowing that God has forgiven you and given you a new chance. They celebrated the fact that God had done that and that they understood. And then... Then what it produces, and their response was one of obedience. Verses 13 to 18 tell us about this festival, the festival of booths, sort of like a New Year's festival for them. They read in, in the scripture here that they're supposed to be celebrating this, and it, it occurs to them they're not doing it the right way. So what do they do? They say, well, we've, we've got to obey the word of God. So they build these little temporary huts, and they put them all over the place, on their roofs, and their courtyards, they put them at the at the synagogue, and everywhere else they can find. They just put them all over the place. And what they're doing is, is referencing back to the time that the Israelite nation spent 40 years in the wilderness in little huts just like that, and how God was with them through all that time. And they're, they're remembering their frailty, how they had to depend on God completely and so on. And, and what's interesting, I think most interesting to me, is that this was an incredible inconvenience for them. Here they are just going about life, and God speaks to them, and now they have to go live on their roof in a hut for a week. Don't they have anything else to do? I mean, you know, they're going to go live there, you know, in the temple courtyard, and, you know, and, and, and they're going to live in a hut. Some of these folks probably had nice homes. Obeying the word of God for them was not always convenient, but they said it's written in the book, and that's what we're going to do, regardless of whether it's convenient 
or not convenient. Regardless of where it helps me or it seems to hurt me, I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. Their leaders gathered for more insight. They figured out what God wanted them to do, and they said, here's what we're going to do. It's no superficial revival for them. It goes to their core. It says there in verse 17, the whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, and there was tremendous joy. You realize that, that either they had not all done this before, maybe they had done it year after year, but not everybody participated, or maybe everybody participated was like, you know, okay, whatever, that's great. Now it says the whole community, with all of their hearts, they obey God, they leave the preaching of God's word to go put it into practice. What does it say in James chapter 1? Don't just be a hearer of the word, but what? Be a doer of the word. Don't just listen to the sermon. Live it out. How to listen to a sermon. You value it. You pay attention to it. You take it seriously. You seek to understand it. And you respond to it. I want to challenge you with three things this week to do. The first is to prepare for next week's sermon. Prepare for next week's sermon with your mind and with your heart. Fill your mind and heart with the things of God this week. And just for one week, try it. I'm going to come prepared next week to hear from God. I'm going to show up. I'm going to value the preaching of God. I'm going to be there and expect God to say something to me. Prepare for next week's sermon. Spend time with Jesus this week to do that. Worship Him, not just on Sunday morning, but through your week, as you get up in the morning, as you go throughout your day, whatever you may do, prepare your heart and your mind to hear from God during next week's sermon. And secondly, I want you to pray for next week's sermon. Pray for next week's sermon. I want you to pray for me. This week, I'm going to study and prepare, and I'm going to live a, a life, and I have a wife and children, and I have frustrations and all that stuff, just like you. I really would appreciate your prayers. Pray for me as a person, me as your pastor, me as a preacher, I pray for the whole process that it would be Holy Spirit-driven and Christ-centered. And pray for us. Pray for us as a church that, that, we, that we would be changed by the preaching of God's Word. That next week we would show up in anticipation and say, God, speak to us today. We're going to worship you and God, we're going to lift our hands and say, Amen, Amen. We'll bow before you and we'll leave changed. God, that's what we want. Pray for next week's sermon. And then finally, I want you to bring someone to hear next week's sermon. As I look around this room this morning, there are a lot of empty seats. Now, I don't say that because I want you to go and say, well, the preacher was talking about you this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, we have plenty of room this morning for lots of folks who need to hear from God. We have lots of room. And I'll tell you this, we'll just grease each other up and slide right on in if we need to. We'll just scoot a little further toward the middle. Maybe uncomfortable for some of you, but let me tell you, i got two rows right here just for you that are really uncomfortable sitting on top of folks. Bring someone with you. Maybe there's somebody in your family that's come here before and they haven't been here in a long time. Maybe it's somebody that God has just put you around on a regular basis. You say, that person's on my heart. I'm going to invite them to church. Bring somebody with you next week. Why? Because God will be speaking, Lord willing, through His Word and they and we and I need to hear it. Bring somebody with you. Prepare for next week's sermon. Your heart, your mind, pray for it, and bring somebody with you to hear it. And when you do, maybe you'd have a little note card there in your Bible. 
And you just go down that little grid and you say, here's how I'm going to listen to the sermon next week. I'm going to value it. I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to seek to understand it. And I, by the grace of God, am going to respond to what I hear. As I pray for us this morning, the time now is to respond to what you've heard. I don't know how it is that God is calling you to respond. Maybe it's to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been paying attention to preaching for 50 years. Or God, I show up each and every Sunday morning and I just simply go through the motions. Or or God, I want to get on my knees before you and I want to pray that this church would be one that wants and expects and loves and responds to faithful biblical preaching. I'm not here to chastise you and beat you this morning because there are so many folks here this morning who do just what I've talked about. But it said the whole assembly responded. That's my prayer. Not just 48 of us out of 73 would hear from God through sermons and Bible teaching, but all of us would respond to it. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful this morning to be able to read your word and to hear from you. Lord, whatever response you want from us this morning, draw it out of us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves and to think only of you in these next few moments. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, for your resurrection that gives us the promise of new life, for your grace that gives us forgiveness of sin. Change us, even in the way we listen to sermons, we pray in Jesus' name.